So I wanted to take and look at a message on a passage that I think will hopefully motivate all of us for this upcoming year. I am um, very excited about this passage. It's one of my favorite psalms and one of my favorite passages in all the Bible and had the uh, great joy of looking over it again this week and spending time in it. It's one of those I wish I could preach every year. I think I, this would be a psalm that either that or go through Psalm 119 for a whole year <laughs> would probably be good too. Uh, the reason being is because the Word of God is just so very, very important. And we get to talk about that today. What should we all pursue this year? What should be our primary passion for this church and this year? We must make it our primary goal, all of us, to know God more this year. We need to pursue God. We need to seek Him with all of our hearts and our minds and our souls. If we know Him more, then we will enjoy Him as we serve Him. You know, following God and obeying God is not a burden. It's a privilege, (laughs) And the more you know God, the more you want to obey God. So it must be our primary focus of our church body to seek to know God more. We often get detoured from our walk with God by focusing on our circumstances. Instead of keeping our attention on the Lord, we get distracted by those day-to-day routines of life. But we must pursue knowing God more, no matter what our circumstances are. Whether we're in difficult times or in times of rest, we must make it our passion, our primary focus to know God more. Then our hearts will be ready for whatever God's providence brings in line. I tell you, just knowing the sovereignty of God based on my study of Scripture and by God's grace showing us, you know, Romans 8.28 keeps coming back over and over and over. God works all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And knowing Scripture are the very things that help you when trials come. As you walk up to the fire truck last night and see all my cousins, my nephews and nieces in the fire truck and the lights and everything... Thankfully, those scriptures just keep pounding my heart. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. God's in control. He loves us. This is for their good, and this is for his glory. We have to know his word. We have to pursue his word. We've got to know God. Seeking to know God is the same as seeking to know the glory of God. God's glory is who He is. The concept of God's glory is found throughout the Bible. The word glory is used in Scripture to describe God's worthiness. It it comes from the root idea of being weighty or heavy. That doesn't mean God is fat. (laughs) That's not what that means. It means God is full of glory. That He's weighty. He's worthy. Of all of our praise and worship. 
And to know God's glory is what it's all about. We need to pursue to know God more. I pray we will all make this our main goal this year. I want everybody, by God's grace, to resolve this year, I'm going to pursue to know God's glory more this year. And as we look at this passage, I pray that it will promote you and and, and provoke you to do this. So today I thought it would be good for us to look at where God's glory is revealed and see practically how we can know God more by studying the scriptures and know God in other places too. We need to be reminded where we get to know God more so that we can pursue knowing him more this year. There's two main places where we can see a glimpse of who God is, his glory, his weightiness. David describes both of these places in this psalm, in Psalm 19. In this psalm, the places where God's glory are displayed are described by David. In fact, he meditates on these places and then is motivated to humbly worship God as he considers them. So today... If you're following along in your notes, we're going to look at the two primary places God's glory is revealed so that we will be moved to pursue knowing God through his revelation. I would suggest that that's the whole purpose of the psalm. To the, primary, the two primary places God's glory is revealed so that we, be, we will be moved to pursue knowing God more. The setting for the psalm, David writes it, He might have written it um, out on the field after watching a night, a sunset, and marveling at the stars, or maybe even a sunrise. We're not specifically given, but we know that he's meditating on where God reveals himself. And the outline of the passage breaks down really simple. The first six verses are the general revelation of God, found in verses 1 through 6. The second section is the special revelation of God. That's found in verses 7 to 11. And then finally we see the reaction to the revelation of God. The psalmist reacts to seeing the glory of God and thinking on the glory of God in verses 12 through 14. So let me give you two brief definitions of general revelation and special revelation. Wayne Grudem states that general revelation revelation of God is the knowledge of God's existence his character, his law, which comes through creation to all of humanity. In other words, when we look out at creation, we get a glimpse of who God is, what he's like, what his character is like. And then special, now it's general, by the way, it's general revelation because it's for all people. Everybody gets to experience that revelation of God. Then there's special revelation, which refers to God's Direct revelation of himself addressed to specific people. People like the Old Testament prophets or the apostles. The people that wrote the scriptures. Those are the ones that God gave special revelation of himself. So again, we're going to look at these two revelations of God found in this psalm. So that we will be moved to pursue knowing him. Let's start with the general revelation of God. He has an explanation of how the general revelation is given, and that's found in verses 1 through 4. Let's look. For the choir director, a psalm of David, 
The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun. I don't want to spend quite as much time on general revelation of God as I do the special revelation. But I do want you to notice a couple of observations before we move on. And we'll, we'll zip through this. The explanation of how God reveals himself in general to all people. I want to answer a couple of questions. First, I want you to notice, what is revealed? If you see in the very first verse, it says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God. Literally, this is the glory of Yahweh, the one true and only God, the triune God. The heavens declare the triune God, who he is, his attributes, his powers. When you look out at the stars at night, they are describing, they are showing off the glory of God, who he is. Notice also, where's the revelation given from? It's from heaven. In other words, he's focused right now on what he sees up in the sky. David focuses on this general revelation of God that comes from heaven in this psalm. He says, our, and it's very important for us to understand, our world often says that the stars show that life is possible on other planets. You've heard that, right? Because it's so big, there must be aliens out there, right? Well, it's just like, it's just like the wicked humanity to do this. What they do is they look out and they see the vastness of the heavens and they say, well, there must be creation out there. Because what they're doing is they're elevating creation up and saying there's got to be creation. I'm intelligent. There's got to be other intelligent humans or creation out there. When in fact God spread the stars for one main reason. You ready for it? The main reason was to display his glory. So when we look up out at the stars, we're not supposed to go, oh, there's got to be more creation out there. We're supposed to go, oh, God, you're amazing. You're powerful. You're big. Wow. But the world does it backwards. It shows the weightiness of our God when we examine the stars. How often is this revelation given? Day to day and night to night. It continuously, it's always going. Day after day, night after night, the sky is declaring God's weight. God is worthy of worship. How does general revelation communicate the glory of God? Now, I want you to notice this. This is very interesting. It says, heavens are telling. It says, heavens are telling. And then it says, their expanse is declaring. Now, those are speaking words, right? It pours forth speech. The heavens pour forth speech. They reveal knowledge. Now, when we think of this, this is usually communication, right? We think voices, right? But then he says in verse 5, their speech, there is no speech, nor are there words. 
their voice is not heard. So in other words, they speak, but you don't hear them. They have voices, but you don't hear them. Why? What's the point? They're silent voices. They scream God's glory silently. (laughs) We look up at the stars and we go, wow, God. But he doesn't say, look, I made this. It's just obvious. You know, atheists come up to you and they ask you regularly, give me proof. I'm on campus doing some evangelism on campus and and they say, give me some proof. I said, okay, you ready? Let's all look around. Wow! Proof is everywhere. Lots of it. Okay, you ready? And I do this to them. Ready? I want you to do this. Ready? Take in a deep breath. Go. And they do it. There it is. More proof. You're breathing. He made the planet for you to survive. Those trees, the grass, the sky, it screams God. I need more proof. (laughs) What? It's everywhere. They're silent voices, though. They're silent voices. One of my previous professors noted on this fifth question, who does general revelation reveal to? He, he noted this, there is no language that does not understand. Do you understand? Now, what, do you, what, I, what he means by that? This little phrase, there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. In other words, everybody hears it. Everybody sees it. Okay, now wait a second. Do the deaf, do the deaf hear it? Well, they don't hear it, the silent voices, but they see it. Does a blind person, does a blind person know the glory of God? Absolutely. Stand out in the sun for 15 minutes and you'll get a sunburn in the summer in Florida. And they will feel it. God's Glory is on display all the time for every person. All around the globe, everybody sees and knows there is a God. No matter what a person says to you, if a person says, there is no God, they're a fool. Because the fact is, their hearts tell them, obviously there's a God. Romans 1.18 makes this very clear. Look. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse everybody knows there is a one true god (laughs) but every single person does what apart from god's grace they take that truth suppress the truth and come up with a god they like and the atheist comes up with a no god god (laughs) a god they can call no god (laughs) but it's still a god (laughs) the reality is this they say there is no god but they know in their hearts there is So if you come today thinking, I need more proof that there is a God, 
So you'll believe you are just suppressing the truth. You already know there is a God. Come on, look around the room. Walk outside. Look up in the sky. It's everywhere. It's obvious. God's glory is on display. Now David points to one of the illustrations of God's glory found in the heavens. He gives in verses 4 through 6. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterance to the end of the world. In them he placed a tent for the sun. And he begins to talk about the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. It rises from one end of the heavens and its circuit is to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So, what is the heavenly illustration? Well, first of all, it comes from, or it's in the heavens, and it's the sun. So he begins to give a specific thing he sees up in the sky that is an example of God's glory. It's the sun, okay? And he says, what does it reveal? We know that it reveals a God because he talks about how glorious the sun is, and he's talked previously about the heavens declaring the glory of God. So we know that the sun is his illustration of God's glory. Then next we see, when is the sun's revelation given? It's continuous, right? It's rising, it's from one end of the heavens, and it's circuit to the other end of them. So it's continually coming. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Every time the sun comes up in the morning, and we walk out and we see the sun, what should we be thinking? Oh God, you're giving me another display of your glory. Wow, here it is again. Your power. That's how David thought. That's how the redeemed believer thinks. When he looks out at creation, he goes, wow. I, I, I laugh because some of the times when I'm reading through John Piper's stuff, he, he, I'm like, wow, this guy really can think. He talks uh, in one of his books, he was talking one time about just looking at flowers and observing flowers. I'm like, what in the world are you going? Where are you going with this, John? And his whole point was is that God's glory is displayed in the creation that God made. We need to stop and smell the roses and realize that God made them. God made everything. He's on display. In our world, in our society, our thoughts, we're what? Fast-paced, move, 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 move. Don't stop. How many of you... Rush, rush, rush to get to church today, right? And if you're late, oh, no, people are going to see me when I walk in late. <laughs> no, it's not about that. If you're late and you're walking with the Lord, it wasn't intentional. Nobody's going to judge you. It's okay. Walk with God. Now, that doesn't mean be undisciplined. But I will tell you this. We've, we take some of these things way too far. We need to observe the glory of God and worship him. We are very fast-paced people, aren't we? We miss the glory of God. How many of you saw the sunrise this morning? Anybody? One of us. One of us saw the sunrise. <laughs> None of us, right? Because we were all up late. I saw it. <laughs> Didn't really want to see it, though. <laughs> Sorry. What is the reality is God's glory is on display continuously all the time. How does the sun reveal God? It reveals it silent voices. 
You look up at the sun, it's silent. But his glory is on display. And who is the sun's revelation shown to? It's shown to everybody. If it goes from one circuit to the other, everybody on, in China got that glory, glorious display of God too, right? Everybody's getting it all the time, all the way around. Woo! We're all getting the glorious display. You know, and the more we study about the sun, it's very interesting to me. Science studies and studies and studies these things. And the more we study these things, the more we see the glory of God on display. But the more we suppress the truth, the scientists are amazing. They put these Hubble telescopes and they see all these amazing things. And then what they do is they say, there's got to be a creation out there. So they build a little microphone. They put a little microphone and they, for 20 plus years, did you know that people sit and listen to a microphone? They do. Uh, they listen to a microphone that's pumped way out in the space listening for aliens. What? For a long time, our government paid for the program. <laughs> paid, gave money to listen to silent voices. Crazy. When we should all be going, Wow. Look at the sun, man. You know the surface temperature of this is 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. You can cook an egg roughly, what, 100 degrees, 110 degrees? 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Man, you don't want to get close to it. Did you know that one million Earths, one million Earths, one million of these things that we are on can fit? Inside of a, a sun. That's our earth right here. That little dot. That dot. That's the sun. God made that. He said happen. And it happened. Sun for day. That's what he did. Is God powerful? He's amazing. This is how far the earth is away from the sun. It's 93 million miles from the earth. 93 million. You can't even comprehend that, can we? His numbers are so huge. 93 million miles. Get in the ship. That's going to take you a long time just to get to the sun. But it's a good thing it's not any closer. Because if it was just a little bit closer, we'd all roast. And if there wasn't this atmosphere around it, we'd already be roasting. The earth has this atmosphere that God made perfectly so that it's exactly the right spot to keep us at the right temperature so we don't all fry. God's glory is on display. Here's the amazing thing. You see the little dot down there? That is our sun compared to other suns in the universe. Okay, you remember earth, sun? Okay, now are you starting to get a glimpse of how big God is? Okay, how much evidence is there that God is powerful and big? At this point, we should all be doing this. Whoa, God, you're big. You're powerful, you're holy, you're amazing. Just to add to it, there's a hundred billion stars in our galaxy. 
There's estimated 100 billion stars in our galaxy. That's suns. 100 billion. And then there's 100 billion estimated galaxies. That's tons and tons and tons of stars and galaxies. And God did this. This is a side note. Look at it again, please. Genesis 1, just for a second. Just for a second. All those stars, all those amazing suns, gigantic suns. (laughs) And what do we do? Look at verse 16. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. What's that? The sun and the moon, right? And then look, there's the side note, the stars also. (laughs) Oh, I love that little phrase. (laughs) That phrase just shocks me every time I read it, every time I meditate on that. The stars also, he flung the galaxies too. He's so big, he's so powerful, he's so awesome, he's so glorious. We should all just walk around going, We wonder why. Why is it that when we read Revelation 4, these angels are just constantly going, Holy, 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 day and night. All they say is, set apart, set apart, you are so big, holy, set apart. God. And it says they do it day and night. Why would they do it? Because he's so much bigger and so much more holy than you can even dream. He's so bigger. And yet, these are all silent voices here. And not one of them will convert the soul, as we will see. Is this revelation of God's glory sufficient to save you? No. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me closely. Everybody in the world sees this glorious display of God, and seeing that display of God will not save one soul. Not one soul. Nobody will be saved by that word. It's a silent voice. So what's the effect of this general revelation on mankind? Romans 1, 18 to 25 that we read says that it just gives us no excuse. It means that we're all condemned because the display is there, but yet we suppress it and we reject it. So you see all this stuff. Before we were believers, we saw all this stuff, and we didn't acknowledge it to be the true God. We may have a God in our own mind that might have created it, but often it was just evolution or a big bang, right? The reality is, is none of this will save a person. But that's when it's shocking in Psalm 19, he turns gears and shifts. And he says, you want to know the glory of God? You want to know who God is? Let me tell you how you know God. And this is what happens in verse 7. He switches to special revelation. All that general revelation does is condemns us. It shows us we need God. And we reject God. But then we come to the supreme revelation, the word of God. Let's look at it. Look, oh, this, is, this is one of the best passages in all the Bible. The law 
of Yahweh, of the Lord. When it's in capitals like that, that means most likely it's the name of God, Yahweh. The law of Yahweh is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoice in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. We see in this little paragraph... The glory of God is revealed in the Word of God. We're going to look at these three aspects of the Word of God found in here. There's some synonyms that describe who, what, God is, what God's Word's all about. And then there's the quality of the Word of God and the effect of the Word of God. Let's examine these. First, the synonyms for the Word of God. The synonyms, and and just to let you know what a synonym basically is, it's two or more words that have a similar meaning. Now, each of the synonyms can bring out a different aspect of of the concept. In other words, for example, the word honest. Honest has several synonyms. Honorable, fair, sincere, trustworthy, genuine. All those words help you to understand what the word honest means, okay? So synonyms can help to describe what one of the words means. The word of of God is the main point. And each one of these are synonyms to describe what the word of God is. So let's look at them. First, the law of the Lord. God's moral standard. The word of God is called... In a general sense here, the law of the Lord. In, in David's day, obviously, he wouldn't have had the whole New Testament, but it was all that God had given through special revelation. God's word is God's moral standard. We all have a standard for what is right and wrong through our conscience, but none of them ultimately are without sin. They're corrupted by the curse, and so our consciences are skewed. So we need a moral standard, a compass that tells us what is true righteousness. Where is true righteousness found? Somebody comes to you and they ask you, so what should I do? Is this right or wrong to do? And it seems like a moral, oh, I don't know. Where should you go? Here. Don't go to your opinion. Because your opinion could include your conscience that's skewed. Do you understand? Go here. It's perfect. God's law is perfect. The word of of God reveals the moral character and quality of our God. Notice also the testimonies of Yahweh. That is God's personal testimony. This reveals what God has done. This right here reveals it. You want to know what God's done? Read it. It tells you what he's done and what he's going to do, by the way. It's the testimonies of God. The precepts of God. What this is is the general rules regarding behavior and thought. What we think we should do does not important, is not important again. It's what God says we should do. Precepts are practical applications for life. The word of God gives us 
practical application for living. That's what this does. I want to know how to live, don't you? You want to know how to live this year? Here it is, right here. It's going to tell you. This is the revelation of God, the commandments of God. God's commands, we are told what to do numerous times in our lives, right? Parents tell us, bosses tell us, the government tell us. But the Word of God tells us what we must do perfectly, always, and for our good and for our joy. I'm guilty of this sometimes with my kids. I, I would love to say that every command I give to my kids is for their good and for their joy. But often I fall into the trap of doing, giving them commands. Not often. I would hope it's less than often. Uh, that sometimes I give them commands that's for my good and my joy. Not necessarily their good. God's commands are always given for our good and his glory. That's what God's word's all about. He does not give us a command that's not good for us. He only gives us commands that are good for us in his word. It's a reason to read it. The fear of the Lord. Now, this is a very interesting one. How is the fear of the Lord a synonym for the word of God? How is the fear of the Lord a synonym for the word of God? Well, because what happens is when you study the word of God, who do you know? God. And when you really know God, what is the reaction to knowing God? Fear. That's right. So what he does is he jumps all the way to the reaction and names it a synonym for God's word. The fear of the Lord. This is it, the fear of the Lord. Why? Because as we study this, we know God and we are reverential fear of him. It's very important. The word of God is the fear of the Lord. And then the word of God is the judgments. God's verdict on what is right and wrong. Um, what we think should happen to a person is not important. What God's word says should happen to a person is what really matters. God's word reveals his verdict on everything. Does it? Everything pertaining to life and godliness. Yes. Everything that is important for us to walk with him. So God's word is his law, his testimonies, his precepts, his commands, the fear of the Lord, the judgment of the Lord. We find out God's standard is in his word. We find out what God has done in his word. We find out how we should live in his word. We find out what God requires in his word. And we find out the holiness of God in his word. We find out who God is in his word. We find out what his verdict is in his word. How important is his word? Very important. It's everything. Now you might ask, Mike, do you do this all the time in church? Are we going to continue to just keep going through book after book after book and keep doing this? Explain the verse. Explain what it means. That's it? Are we going to do that all the time in this church? Yes. We're going to continue to do this. We are I mean, we are the Energizer Bunny. And if we ever get off of this track, if we ever stop doing this, leave. Do you hear me? Leave the church. But we are going to preach this Bible, and we're going to continue to do it all the time until I die or all the elders die. We're going to continue to do it. Do you understand? Because it's how we know God. 
And the quality of it is perfect. Look at it, verse 7. It's perfect. God's moral standard is perfect. Oh, wow. The Bible is literally perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. It's perfect. It's the Holy Bible, literally. It's reliable. His testimonies are reliable. God's testimony of his work is revealed in the word. It's reliable. We can trust it. We know it's right. We know it's accurate. Everything that God's word says about history is perfect. If some archaeologist comes out and says, well, I found this thing, and this says that the Bible's not true, what do you say? Wrong. You're wrong. Why? Because the Bible is always reliable. You're not. You're a man or a woman. Right? This is reliable. It's upright. God's word is without error. God's word is without error. God's general rules for thought and life, you see it in, verse, in these verses, is revealed and it's straight. Everything God's word tells us will help us to walk straight and narrow. It's pure. The commands are pure. God's commands are revealed in God's word are free from any defilements. God's commands do not have any evil intentions. No wrong motives. God does not give us a command that's not good for us and for his glory. His motives are always good. Unlike commands from human authorities, sometimes they're self-seeking. But God's commands are always pure. Also, we see that God's word is unfading. It's clean, enduring forever. Listen, folks. God's revelation of himself is eternal. Matthew 24, 35 says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That's, that's staggering. Now think about that. All of the universe that we saw, all those pictures, all that, that's going to what? It's going away. But this, the word of God, will always endure. What God speaks will always endure. God's word is the final authority. It's true. His judgments are true. And then I love these little additions. David just adds, the word is more desirable than much fine gold. God's word is more desirable than material possessions. Most of the world craves the things of the world. But true believers crave what? This. Let me ask you a question. You know, do we have, you know, everybody sets goals for their life, right? Our society is all about goals and setting goals and. You know, I've got to have this, I have to have this car, I have to have this job or this position, I'm trying to get there or do this. How about goals to just absolutely consume this word? I mean, I just want to know it. I want to know every jot and tittle. I want to know every little bit of this word. This is my passion. Is this your passion? It's more desirable than gold. There is nothing that this world offers that compares to this. Nothing. Do whatever it takes to know it. 
Do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes is more desirable than fine gold, and it's sweeter than honeycomb. Sweeter. God's word is more delightful than any food or the honey of the honeycomb. So God's word is perfect. It's reliable. It's inerrant. It's pure. It's clean. It's true. It's desirable. It's satisfying. It's satisfying. This is good. So the true believer does what? He desires it. Our flesh is weak, I know. And at a point like this, right about this point in the sermon, I'm, everybody's starting to struggle a little bit. Uh, it's good. Train your body to stay focused. God, help me. I need to know your word. I need to know it more. I want to know you more. You're more important. And then finally we see the effect. Look at this, guys. The word of God converts the soul. Remember, verse 7 comes right off of general revelation, right? General revelation showed all the glory of God, but they're silent voices. Everybody sees it, but nobody's converted. Verse 7, the first thing, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. How is a person converted? How is a person saved? How is a person right with God? It's through the proclamation of the word of God. How is a person delivered from sin? The word of God. How is a person saved from the wrath of God? Through the presentation of the word of God, the gospel found in the word of God. It's so important, folks. It converts the soul. It makes wise the simple. Isn't that true? I love how Wayne Grudem says this too. He explains this concept really well. He says, here the simple person is not merely one who lacks intellectual ability. So in other words, it could be somebody that's smart. But a simple person is one who lacks sound judgment, who is prone to making mistakes, who is easily led astray. Who is that in this room? All of us. (laughs) We're the simple people. God's word is so understandable, he says, so clear that even this kind of person, the simple person, can be made wise. This should be great encouragement to all believers that they should think on and meditate and and relish the word of God. We are simple people, folks. And yet, we know some pretty amazing things. When we looked at the sun and we looked at the stars, everybody in here went, God, you're amazing, right? Hopefully. If you did, you know why? It's because the word of God has made you wise. (laughs) We can have some of the wisest astrophysicists, guys that have studied this stuff, sit in this room right here, okay? The guys that we think are, woo, smart, smart, smart. And they will look at those pictures and they will say, there is no God. But all of us who have heard the word of God and submitted our hearts to the one that's revealed in the word of God, look at those things and say, God, you are amazing. Because they get it. We get it. He is God. He has made wise the simple. And we see he rejoices the heart. What brings ultimate joy is found in the word of God because we know our God better there. 
It enlightens the eyes. As we read the Word of God, we study the Word of God, we see what is right and wrong. He warns us. We are warned about who God is and what sin will get us through the Word of God. And when we keep it, there is much reward. Folks, in effect, the Word of God, it converts us. It makes us wise. It brings joy to our hearts. It enlightens us. It helps us to understand. It warns us. It brings reward through our obedience to it. So question, is there any other book you should spend most of your time focused on? This book should be your main reading source next year. Please. This book. I call this church. Please. Let's read and study and meditate and memorize this book. We can know God now. Let's do it. Who's with me? Let's go for it. I want to know it. You want to know it with me? Good. It's where we know God. And when you know God, when you really get the glory of God on display in this book, not in philosophy, not in all the speculation out there, in this book, you will respond the right way. You will react just like the psalmist. Look how he reacts. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. He's talking directly to God. Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Listen. You get this, you'll get it all. Look, how many of you want to have this kind of heart the whole year? I want that kind of heart, right? I want that to be on my lips all the time this year. I want that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I want everything I think this week and this year, all my thoughts, all my words, all my actions this year, I want it to all be about you. How do we do it? I study the word of God that reveals the glory of God and I will be brought to my humble end and I will say that you, God, are my God. You are my rock. You are my redeemer. The glory of God is revealed in the word of God. Let's study together. I challenge you to look on the website of Uh, Bethlehem Baptist, they're doing a um, uh, read through the Bible. I had it and I was going to print it out for you, but as you know, I had a pretty long night and that one got by me. It's a a Bible reading plan. I know several of you go, oh no, not a Bible reading plan. (laughs) 
the, one of those things that I start at the beginning of the year, I'm going to start to do this, and then I fail at it, and then I get real discouraged, and I feel guilty, and I say, oh, I can't do this. Don't go there, please. Remember Psalm 19. <laughs> reading the Word of God is a good thing. Now, this Bible reading plan is really neat, and I, I was looking over them this week, and I think this one's a really good one for you to consider. It has 25 days of reading a month, not 30 or 31 or 28. So you got some days to kind of make up. That's for me. <laughs> for those days that you get behind. It's broken down and you read a section, four different sections in the Bible. So you're reading from Genesis, the historical books, the poetry books, the Gospels, the epistles. Okay? So there's four different sections. And you'll read all the way through the Bible. Okay? In a whole year. So you say, I'm not that ambitious, Mike. I can't do the whole Bible. Here's what I want you to do. Just do maybe the Old Testament this year and the New Testament next year. And you can just walk along and check it. Or you could, if you're really, you're, I, I don't know, I don't know, just go and do just the Gospels then. That's what Andrew's going to do this year by God's grace for homeschool. Um, he's going to do that, the Gospels, okay? Let's resolve together to pursue God's glory through the Word of God, Okay? Let's do it. This is a great day to do it. Great year to do it. Let's know God more. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you for your word. We thank you for your revelation of yourself in the word. We pray that you will help us now, Lord, as we go about this day to begin to focus our attention on you and your word and knowing you. And at the same time, because of your word, help us to worship you for what you have created, knowing that you are the creator of all things. All good gifts come from you, the Father of lights. We praise you and thank you for this day. We commit this year to you. We ask you to use us as your vessels of grace. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.